0: second one is from the New Testament. You'll find the words in either your leaflet on the screens as I read them to you. Our first reading from the Old Testament is from Exodus 35, verses 1 to 29. Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, These are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done. But the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work is to be put to death. Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplate. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle with its tent and its covering, clasps, frames, crossbars, posts and bases. The ark with its poles and the atonement cover and the curtain that shields it. The table with its poles and all its articles and the bread of the presence. The lampstand that is for the light with its accessories lamps and oil for the light, the altar of incense with its poles, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, the curtain for the doorway and at the entrance to the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the bronze basin with its stand, the curtains of the courtyard with its posts and bases, and the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard, the tent pegs for the tabernacle and for the courtyard, and their ropes, the woven garments worn for ministering in the sanctuary, both the sacred garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and every one who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the Tent of Meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewellery of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple or scarlet yarn or fine linen or goat hair Ramskins dyed red or other durable leather brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord and everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and bought what she had spun, blue, purple or scarlet yarn or fine linen. And all of the women who were willing and had the skill, spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breast place. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for all the fragrant incense. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord freewill offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. The second reading from the New Testament is from Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 47. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, He pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Thanks, Gary.
1: We'll uh, keep your passages open there. Has uh, anyone heard of the five love languages? Heard of them before? Uh, It's an idea that uh, some bloke came up with, uh, that because we're all different, we have different personalities, uh, we all give and receive love in different ways, Uh, different languages as you were, uh, that are how we communicate love for each other. And uh, the bloke that came up with this idea kind of came up with five uh, different uh, key ways that people pass on and receive affection. Uh, The first is words of affirmation, the kind of, I love you, gee, you're great, I love it when you dot, 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 that kind of stuff. Uh, Acts of service, doing things for people, you know, some people just love it when they see someone, you know, doing something for them. Uh, Receiving gifts, you know, let's be honest, there are those of us who just love a good old-fashioned gift, uh, especially one that's really well thought out. Uh, There's the quality time, people just love spending time together and that's kind of the number one thing that tops them up. And then physical touch, hug, kiss, high-five, all that kind of stuff. And the thing is that if you sort of take this idea and you run with one of them, and you neglect the others, there's a problem, isn't there? Uh, So the reality of life is that there's not actually five different languages of love. There's just one language of love, and it's got a whole lot of different expressions. It's like the English language. Uh, It's made up of lots of different kinds of words. There's one language, but that language is made up of verbs and nouns and pronouns and participles and conjunctions. And it's one language that actually needs all these different aspects for it to actually work. And it's true of love, isn't it? Love is expressed in lots of different ways. And all of these things are actually all part of just one language of love. It's just, they're just different little elements and aspects and expressions of love, and they're all important. Actually, I don't know where he came up with the five, because there's so many more that we would want to add to this list, aren't there? Uh, that actually, to get a real picture of love... Commitment and honesty and grace and repentance and patience and humility, clear communication. You know, all of these things are essential to a relationship, aren't they? They're all part of how we love each other. And if you start removing any of these, you get a pretty unhealthy and anemic kind of relationship. And it's a little bit like that with discipleship, As we've looked over the past few weeks and for the rest of this term, we've looked at uh, some key characteristics of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple. We've seen that a disciple is saved by grace, devoted to Jesus, grounded in scripture, belonging to church, generous in giving, dependent in prayer, bold in mission, loving in service and overflowing with praise. Now, of course, there are more things that we can say that a Christian is, a disciple is. But the thing with being a disciple is that being a disciple of Jesus is about being someone who follows and copies and imitates our Saviour, like an apprentice or a trainee who learns how to be like their master. Being a disciple of Jesus is learning how to be like Jesus, our master, in every aspect and since jesus had all these characteristics actually we need all these characteristics just like a relationship can't have physical touch and no quality time you can't have one of these aspects of being a disciple without all the others now we won't fully and perfectly have all of these characteristics like jesus we never will until jesus returns And we won't totally transform overnight. And we probably won't have them all in equal measure. There will be some that we're better at than others. But if we're someone who's a disciple of Jesus, we will actually have all of these traits to some degree. And so if you're saved by grace and devoted to Jesus, but you're not grounded in scripture, you're not actually being like Jesus, are you? And if you belong to church and you're generous in giving, but you're not dependent in prayer, you're not really being like Jesus. And if you're bold in mission and loving in service, but not overflowing with praise, well, then you're not really being like Jesus. All of these things that we're looking at over this term are all important, aren't they? And they're all things that all of us need to work at and pray about and pray that God will transform us more like Christ. And today we're thinking about the fact that being a disciple of Jesus means we are generous in giving. Well, I know what uh, some of you are probably thinking. Oh, the money talk. Uh, These preachers, you know, there's nothing worse than turning up to church and it's a money talk. Preachers trying to get money, you know. And I wouldn't actually be surprised or offended at all if you felt a bit sceptical or a bit sus about that. Uh, I'm sure many of us have heard some pretty dodgy money talks at church. Uh, there are plenty of preachers around the world, this country is no exception, plenty of preachers who've lined their own pockets and fuelled their own private jets uh, off of gifts received uh, for their ministry. But if you're thinking, hey, oh, another money talk, Scott's after money, you'd be wrong on two counts. Uh, and firstly, the reason is I don't get paid in commission. So whether or not you give more or less to church, it actually doesn't affect my salary at all. Well, maybe if everyone stops giving, that might affect my salary. But if someone today drops a million dollars in the church account, I'll still be driving the old beat-up ute, same old beat-up ute around to visit people tomorrow, because it doesn't make a difference to me. And so the money here is not about me. Uh, the money, uh, that's, that's not what's at work here. I'm really thankful for being part of a church with a leadership team and a network uh, who have uh, a set income for their pastors. For all pastors, I think it's a really healthy thing that doesn't go up and down depending on what goes in the offer tree. Uh It's not too much. It's not too little. It's enough that I can be generous to others, uh, but not so much that I have more than is good for me. And so while I'm calling you to generosity, I'm not calling you to generosity towards me. I thought that would be helpful to be clear. But secondly... This isn't a money talk. This is generosity is so much more than money. And so as we think about generosity, don't just think money. Our world just thinks money all the time. But as God's people, we think generosity Generosity is so much bigger than just money. Have a look there uh, at um, Exodus chapter 35 in your readings, verse 4. Now, little bit of background god's people he's rescued them out of slavery from egypt he's with incredible signs the plagues on egypt god's led them through the middle of the sea he's destroyed the egyptian army he's saved his people and they're out wandering around in the desert and here what's happening is god is getting the israelites to build a special tent called a tabernacle and this tent while all the israelites are camped in tents This tent will be right in the middle with all of Israel camped around it. And this tent is the symbol of God's presence that while they're roaming about, God is there with them. And so here, Moses, the leader of God's people, is going to the people saying, we need to pitch in together to build this special tent. Verse 4. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil, spices, incense, onyx stones, gems. It's obviously not just about money, is it? Now, some of it's definitely about money, and these things are worth money. They cost money in their day. You know, that's in a barter society, you know, it's kind of the equivalent. But the generosity runs heaps deeper. Uh, If we keep reading, we see it also means using your time and your skills as well as your resources for someone else's benefit. Look at verse 10. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. And then he goes on to talk about the different skills that would be necessary, making the fabric, weaving it, stitching it, sewing it, the woodwork, the metalwork, all these different parts uh, and these skills that are necessary for God's people to come together generously, giving their time and their resources and their money and their skills. Generosity is so much bigger than just what we do with the money that God's entrusted to us. Now, just think about that for us. You know, we're not building a tent, um, although, you know, some days I think a tent might be a bit better than this building, but you know, not when it's raining and it's freezing, it would be terrible. Uh, but look around at this morning. You know, What does it take? What skills and resources and generosity is needed just for us to gather like we do on a Sunday? Someone's got to bring the trailer. Someone's got to pack down all the chairs and the desks and the, uh, put out the chairs, bring the chairs down from upstairs, set up the sound gear. People serve us with their skills of music and singing and and people read and pray and they practice that during the week. And that's just thinking about Sunday. I haven't even talked about the kids' ministry or any of that stuff. Think about what goes into our community during the week, the way that we serve each other, leading youth, leading growth groups, catching up with each other, inviting each other in for cups of tea, investing and in generously with our time and our emotional reserves and our love caring for each other, getting to know each other, building friendships. This all is generously using the resources that God has given us. Time, money, skills, ourselves. And generous giving is a beautiful thing, isn't it? I want to ask you a question. If you had the choice between being a generous person or someone who isn't generous, what would you want to be? You know, Would you want to be a generous person or a Scrooge? What would you want to be? And, and why is that? Why would we want to be the generous person, even if we find it hard to be generous? Because when we see someone who is truly generous, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Seeing someone who is really lovingly, Generally generous is a beautiful thing and we want to be that we want that and I don't know if you noticed but uh, in our second reading we really pick up and the first reading both our readings actually really pick up the sense that the generosity that goes on is a beautiful thing that is attractive But it's also a beautiful thing that's not just attractive to those outside. Generosity is something that is a source of great joy for those who practice it. Now have a look in our Acts reading. This is another important moment of history. Uh, Just like back in Exodus, God's people had just been saved, rescued from slavery. Well here, Jesus has just died. He's just risen. He's just paid the penalty for our rebellion against God. And after his death, he's appeared to many people. He's gone back to heaven and before he did, he said, wait, because in a little while I'm going to give you a gift. And this gift is going to enable my church to be built. And so here in Acts chapter 2, we're at the moment when that gift has just been given Jesus has just given his spirit to his disciples and they've gone out into the streets and they've started just telling everyone how great Jesus is. Peter's just preached a sermon and here people have come and they've trusted Jesus and this is the birth of God's church. And at this moment, we see the very first believers, the very first beginnings of the church... And we see what it looks like. Have a look at verse 42. What did this church do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. Now, maybe it shouldn't surprise us that actually we see all the marks of our series in there, don't we? We see that verse 38, they're bold in mission and they're saved by grace. Verse 41, they're devoted to Jesus, they're grounded in Scripture, they belong to each other, to church. They're dependent in prayer. They're generous in giving. They're loving in service. And verse 47, they're overflowing with praise. And did you see the effect of their generosity? Verse 46. The effect of this generosity is that they had glad and sincere hearts. They praised God. They were full of joy. Now, we know that money can't bring happiness, can't buy happiness, can you? But Christian generosity does. These guys weren't poorer for, any poorer for giving away. Their lives became far richer in a far more wonderful way than any material wealth could bring. Because as they gave generously to anyone who had need, they were filled with joy. And they were bound together in love for each other. And it wasn't just an effect on the people within the church. Now, we see there in verse 47 actually that the generosity and the transformation that was taking place in these people actually had an effect outside the church. Look, verse 47 people were seeing their generosity and their changed lives, and they were being attracted to the gospel. They had favour with the people. See, there is something beautiful about genuine love and genuine generosity, isn't there? There's something attractive. There's something that for all that the world tries to point to and accuse us of, it's very hard to point to our generosity and to have a go at that, isn't it? They still do. They still try. But there is something inherently beautiful about generosity, now, of course, it wasn't just the generosity uh, that uh, people noticed. But it's hard to imagine the same kind of joy, the same kind of attraction, if you took that generosity out of the equation. You imagine how much longer the church might have lasted if you had people starving to death and people able to help, but they weren't generous. I can't imagine the church would have had that same joy or that same favour, with the people. It's a joy to give and it's a joy to receive. It fuels the love and the community and the fellowship we have for each other. It binds relationships together. It feeds thankfulness to God for his grace and his kindness. But it also breaks the chains of our sinfulness, doesn't it? Our selfishness. The best solution to being selfish is actually to start giving and it also teaches us to look forward to God's kingdom to that day when there'll be no more need to that day when we will have God's kingdom and all the fullness and the richness of it to enjoy together now just uh, a few weeks ago as I'm sure yours did our tax return came through and uh, Keely and I decided beforehand uh, that we wanted to give it uh, to gospel work and to, to the poor. Uh, but when it finally landed in our bank account, and I'm looking and thinking, wow, our bank account hasn't looked this good. No, I can't even remember last time it looked this good. And I remember a very real temptation not to be generous, you know, just a very, very real temptation to go, oh, I'll just, you know, hang on to a little bit of it. Uh, I, you know, through my mind, I was thinking of the tools and the toys and, and whatnot that I could put in my workshop out of some of that. And, and I thought about it, I thought, come on, Scott. You know, what difference is it going to make to your life to have a few more tools or toys in the workshop? It's not going to actually fill you with the joy that comes from knowing that you've invested in God's kingdom from knowing that you've used what God's given you that you didn't need, it wouldn't make really any difference to your life if it's there or not. And I can use that in a way that actually has lasting impact and lasting difference. And then once I'd given it, I wasn't filled with that kind of buyer's regret. You know how you, you, you think, you know, you go and buy something, you take it home, you go, oh, that was a bit of a waste of money, it's not that big a deal didn't change my life. It didn't do what it said it would. It's just sitting there gathering dust and I don't really use it anyway. No. When we invest in God's people and we care for people, we give generously to those in need, actually that's something you will never feel buyers regret. You never have generosity regret over that. No, you'll be filled with a joy of knowing that that was used in the best possible way. And the other thing that I noticed actually is that my love grew. And so my love for these people in Afghanistan who I don't know and I haven't seen and my concern for them and my kind of connection to them in praying actually strengthened and grew. And I felt that, you know there's this real genuine connection there. My love for and connection to missionaries who we support that grew. And as I hear how, you know, for many of them, it just came at a, just the right, perfect time. And that they're praising God for what God has done, and I'm praising God for what God has done. The joy and that connection grew. And we all buy in so much to what the world is selling us, don't we? We all buy into the idea that we just need something else, something more. And I'm not just talking material and money. We all buy into this idea that we just need to invest into me a little bit more. I need to invest in myself. I need to look out for number one a little bit more. I need to put a bit more of my time and my energy and my resources into just me. That's the tune of our world these days. And sometimes we wrap that up in this hideous, you know, Christian gift shop wrapping paper, don't we, of, well, well, God just wants me to focus on things that make me happy because God's all about me, isn't he? I want to ask you a question. When was the last time that spending, whether it be money, time, resources, effort, when was the last time that spending on yourself gave you the same kind of joy that giving does? a real joy that lasts into eternity. See, we know that it can't, don't we? It just can't. See, how much better and more lasting and substantial is the joy that you felt the last time that you gave generously? It far outweighs that temporary buzz or high from spending our resources, our time, our money, our pleasure on ourselves. It's lasting joy. And so generosity isn't so much a gift that we give to others, but actually it's a gift that God gives us to unwrap. The ability to be generous is God giving us a gift that as we're generous, as we unwrap that gift, we experience the joy of it. And so do those who we're generous to. Now, like uh, all of the different characteristics of discipleship, uh, they're all refractory. Now, does anyone anyone know what, what does refractory mean? What do I mean by refractory? Who can who can help us out here? What's oh, we've got an engineer here. Come on, you've got a... Oh, there you go. Uh, well, have a think of a chandelier. Everyone know, you know, there's really fancy kind of hanging lights they've got crystals hanging off them you see them real fancy old school hotels and think of us a little bit like a little crystal hanging off a chandelier the crystal doesn't make any light does it all the crystal can do is refract the light and what that means is that the light comes from somewhere else it passes through the crystal and then it comes out and the more kind of little facets and surfaces that are cut on that crystal, the more the light kind of refracts all over the place. And so you know how beautiful it is, isn't it? When you turn the light on and the the crystal chandelier and then you look around and all over the floor and the walls and the ceiling, all those little beautiful patches of light that have been refracted all over the place. And it's like that. As a disciple of Christ, with all the qualities that we're talking about, all the characteristics, with generosity, that's something that doesn't come from us. It's something that is refracted through us. That we receive God's generosity to us in Christ. It comes into us and changes us and then it spreads out. It's a little bit like a cup of water that you sit under a tap and leave the tap running, it's only a matter of time before it fills up and then it just keeps running out. Or like a crystal sitting there with a light shining against it, it can't help but have the light refract through it and out of it. It's like that with us, that when we've received God's generosity, it shines through us and out of us. Now look back at our passage there in Exodus 35. Remember where the Israelites have just been. They've just been slaves. Where do they get all this gold and precious jewels and all this stuff from? It wasn't theirs that they had, you know, they're not family heirlooms. As they left Egypt, God said, go and knock on the Egyptians' doors and ask them to give you stuff, and they will. And so God caused the Egyptians just to go, here, take it all, just get out of here. Where did they get this stuff to be generous with? Well, from God in the first place. And what about the new church in Acts? Why did the people give? Well, have a look at verse 38. They gave because they had received a gift of infinite value. They'd received forgiveness and God's own spirit living in them. See, when God pours his generosity out on us, if we are people who are transformed by it, it will refract through us and bounce out onto those around us. Now, you can probably uh, forget the five love languages quiz. You can do the quiz. I did it the other day. You know, it's a bit of fun. Um, and, you know, you kind of figure out where you're at. But I want you to take the discipleship quiz. As a disciple, are you displaying all the characteristics of Christ? And particularly today, are you generous in giving? Of your time, of your money, of your emotional support, of your skills and your resources and your friendship? Because it will leave a trail of gladness and joy and pleasure. I think just as we finish, it's a helpful to well, how do we know how and where to be generous? How do we direct This generosity. Well, it's a bit hard to know where our skills and our resources and our time and our money is best needed, if we don't actually know people well. And so, I encourage you that building strong relationships is an essential if you want to be a generous person. Because as you get to know people, and you get to know people's needs, you get to know what's helpful and needed, and and where you can invest your generosity. Make sure you're on our missionary update list so you know what's going on you can be praying for them. Make sure you keep an eye on what's going on around our world. Make sure you're on our church newsletter so you know what's going on in the church as needs arise, as things come up, ways you can invest. Come and have a chat about how your skills and your gifts and your uh, your resources can be used effectively. God's kingdom. I want to encourage you, there is great joy that comes from giving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that we have seen throughout your people, throughout history, that when your people respond to your generosity with great thankfulness, that your generosity flows out of them. And we thank you for the gift that it is and the joy that it brings and the way that it attracts people to the gospel. And we pray that you'd be at work in us, that we would be people for whom generosity flows out of. Amen.